Ain't No Fang. The Ain't No Fang podcast goes broadcast for this Arizona sports special on the Arizona Sports app at 98.7. The Arizona Diamondbacks will have three all-stars this year. Welcome to the Ain't No Fang podcast, live radio edition. Steve Zinsmeister and Alex Weiner covers the team for ArizonaSports.com. So three all-stars. We knew about Corbin Carroll. He's going to start the game in his hometown of Seattle. Pretty cool story, actually. Very. And now we know there will be two other all-stars. Zach Gallen, starting pitcher. Still a chance that he could be the actual starting pitcher in the game. We'll talk about that plenty. Uh, the other one, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., his first year as a Diamondback, having a resurgent season. The average is back up where we thought it would be. The home runs have come back. Uh, hasn't had a really great last month or so. I mean, it's hard to say that when he just hit a grand slam the other day, but he hasn't had the greatest month since coming back on June 10th. Um, what do we think of the three all-star selections? And more more likely going to be talked about is the guys who didn't get in. Yeah, I think for a first-place team that's a resurgent team that's starting to get a little bit more popularity nationally, I think three made sense. I thought three or four would have been the number. I'm a little bit surprised that they took Lourdes Gurriel Jr. over Cattell Marte. Part of that is positionally. Outfielders, it was more of an open slot. Gurriel made a great case for himself in April and May. He was one of the three best hitters in May statistically. And with Marte, though, I I know we're going to get to it, but man, it seems like a missed opportunity not to have him in there, especially given the season that he's had, the bounce-back season he's had, and what he's meant to this organization for the last few years as they've been building up to this. So... Yeah, I was I was very happy to see that Zach Allen got in. Corbin Carroll was a obviously deserving starter, and Gurriel's had some great stretches this season. But you're right, I have to get a little bit deeper into why Cattell Marte's not on the roster. So let's do that then. Cattell Marte, uh, when compared to Ozzy Albies, because that seems to be yep. the guy that got the spot over him. Ozzy Albies hitting 259 on the season, Cattell Marte 289, so 30 points higher in batting average, 58 points higher in his on-base percentage, 8 points higher in his slugging percentage, WRC plus 136 compared to 112 for Ozzy Albies. Uh, Albies does have more power. He's got 19 home runs as opposed to 15. That's not a huge insurmountable lead, though. The 57 RBIs is pretty impressive, but he also plays for the Atlanta Braves, a real powerhouse of a team. He hits in the middle of the lineup. Um, I do think that there's an argument to be made that Cattell Marte has been the better player, particularly over the last month or so where he's really just taken off. So, yeah, when you compare the two players, it's a no-brainer to me. It probably should have been Cattell Marte. Yeah, I would agree. And not to take anything away from Ozzy Albies because— I mean, he hit his 20th home run yesterday as they were doing the voting. And so... Oh, I didn't even realize that. Sorry, I'm already outdated. <laughs> <laughs> so to have 20 home runs. 20 home runs by the All-Star break as a second baseman is really, really impressive. It's good. And the Atlanta Braves are the best team in the National League. They're, I think, seven games ahead of the Diamondbacks with the second best team in the National League, best run differential in the league. It makes sense that they have the most All-Stars. But they have eight, and the Diamondbacks have three, both as first-place teams. And when you look deeper into the Albies Marte... Uh, sort of debate that we're going to be having here. It's that offensively, it, it's really, other than the home runs and RBIs, pretty much everything else lines up with Cattell and what he's meant to the team. And, you know, the big thing with Cattell Marte this year is he's been, he's been healthy. They've been able to rely on him in either hitting leadoff against left-handed pitchers or hitting second against right-handed pitchers. And he's been really consistent. And you're right, he's had one of the best 
months of June in baseball. I think he was sixth in OPS in the month of June in the National League. Uh, Albies also had a tremendous June, but I think part of it is just the Braves are the better team right now. The Braves are the more popular team right now. And this is you know a player ballot, and it's a commissioner's office ballot, and that's how they create these reserves. I wonder if just it's still a little bit, you know, it's not the fan vote. It's not quite that extreme, but still a little bit of a popularity vote. And that's why Albies is there. I saw a tweet. Um, I forget who tweeted it, but it was on uh, the all-star list for the Braves. Basically just a rundown of their lineup at every single position. Yeah. Catcher, all-star. First base, all-star. Second base, all-star. Third base, all-star. Shortstop, all-star. Right field, all-star. Center field, last year's rookie of the year. Uh, left field, on pace for 27 home runs and an 812 OPS. DH, on pace for 31 home runs and an 820 OPS. It's a pretty impressive lineup. So on the one hand, them having eight all-stars... I kind of get it. I do. Um, But at the same time, when you're trying to compare it to a player that deserved it over one of theirs, uh, yeah, I think Cattell Marte has probably the best case. Another guy that I think probably had a decent argument to be a starter and didn't even make the game is Geraldo Perdomo. The argument is centered around the fact that shortstops around the National League have been underproducing. There's no lacking of star names. Francisco Lindor... Uh, Xander Bogarts goes to San Diego in the offseason. Dansby Swanson goes to Chicago. There's good players out there. It's just that they're either playing not so well. I mean, Francisco Lindor's hitting about 220. I know he's got a lot of RBIs, but he didn't even make the All-Star game. Orlando Arcia makes the All-Star game as a starter. Doesn't make sense to me. I guess that's a product of uh, fan voting. Um, But Perdomo has an argument over Arcia and some of the other shortstop candidates as well. I think what hurts him is the splits as far as just them platooning him because they have been pretty consistently starting Nick Ahmed against left-handed pitching, which has led to Perdomo playing fewer games than, you know, Dansby Swanson, let's say, who, who, who got the reserve nod over Perdomo in the National League roster. Swanson's played 80 games. Perdomo's played 69 games. It's just a bit more production on that front. Now, to kind of go back to Arcia, he's only played 62 games. And so Perdomo, who's been... A platoon player for all pretty much all season even has more games than Arcia. But again, it's fan vote. He's on the best team. He's having a heck of an offensive season. Don't want to take that away. But uh, you're right. Perdomo was probably a good candidate. I was less surprised to not see him on there. Yeah. For, for me, Cattell Marte not being on there, I kind of like stood back a little bit. I was like, really? Wow. But for Perdomo, I don't think so. I think he'll have more opportunities. He's only 23 years old. But great start to the season. Cooled off a little bit kind of found that rhythm again. He's been very, very good. He's been everything the D-backs could have asked for him. But with the role that he's been given against some guys who are playing every single day, like Swanson is, and he's been producing really well, uh, I, I, I'm not overly surprised, even though I think Perdomo's a, a noteworthy honorable mention. Uh, I think, yeah, he's got about 208 at-bats. If Perdomo has 300 at-bats, the way that Marte and Walker do on this team, and just a few more than Lourdes Gurriel currently has, if he's a full-time player at shortstop and playing the way that he is, statistically, I think he's an all-star. No-brainer. The argument that Cattell has over him is Cattell Marte was fourth in MVP voting in 2019. He's a name that everybody knows, and even though he's not consistently an incredible player in Major League Baseball. He's had some really good seasons. We know what he can be. 
Perdomo is having his very first breakout season. I wouldn't even be shocked if a lot of Diamondbacks fans go to the ballpark this season for the first time and they're like, I don't really know Perdomo. I don't know much about that guy. Even though he was around last year, he just didn't play very well last year. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't knock anybody for not knowing him on a national scale, let alone a local one. Um, other arguments to be made. Merrill Kelly, mm-hmm. a guy who's certainly pitched about as well as you could have asked him to. I know he's out currently with, uh, he's got the blood clot in his leg. We don't know how long that's going to keep him out. Hopefully we'll get some good news on that soon. But he had an all-star argument to be made as well, I think. And I know Zach Gowan's going to get all the headlines, and he's certainly already in the game. Merrill Kelly, could he be an injury replacement if he's even healthy himself? Maybe that's still a possibility. What did you make of Merrill Kelly not getting the all-star nod? Also not overly surprised just because... And and look, with the starting pitchers, there was a few teams that, you know, that was their all-star. That was their lone all-star. Look at the Nationals. Josiah Gray gets in over Merrill Kelly. You can argue Merrill Kelly's been more effective than Josiah Gray this season, but the Nationals needed an all-star, and Josiah Gray was the was the pick there. Um, with Kelly, too, it, it's a shame that he's injured now. Obviously, it's, it's a shame when anybody gets injured at any point, but it's specifically now for him, who was on pace to maybe contending for his first all-star game appearance, I mean, he's a he would have been a prime candidate to be a replacement because every single year there's like a dozen replacements on the on on the All Star teams, right. both teams. Guys are going to start on pitchers. Sunday. Exactly. Most Guys are going to get hurt. Sure. And so if Kelly was available potentially, then I mean, I can't think of that many more guys you would pick ahead of him. I mean, he's he's not like first or second in a lot of National League categories, but for qualified guys who have 50 innings, he's. 10th in ERA, he's pretty much like 10 to 15 range and a lot. So I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like if he was healthy and available to go, then that door certainly wouldn't be closed. And I'm not sure it's closed for Marte either, but it's just easier to see replacements being needed for starting pitchers than it is for infielders. That's I, I think that's a fair argument. The last guy that I think really had a good standing argument to be an all-star and is having that caliber of season is Christian Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the thing that makes it difficult is not many people care about defense at first base, and they probably should, um, because Christian Walker is without a doubt one of the best defensive first basemen in the game. Tack on the fact that, oh, by the way, he's got 16 home runs, which is pretty good. 54 RBIs is pretty good. He's walking at a not so great rate, but it's been fine. He's having a really good year, 840 OPS, slugging over 500, which only a couple of other guys in the league are doing. The problem is he's at a stacked position, especially in the National League. Paul where Goldschmidt didn't even make the All-Star team. And he won, he the, won MVP. the MVP. <laughs> so Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt. I think Spencer Steer from Cincinnati I might have even uh, favored over Christian Walker. So uh, Pete Alonzo. Gets in, 221 average, not very good, but... He's the Mets guy. He's, he's the, the Mets guy. Mets guy. Yeah. He's got 25 homers, so I guess I understand it. But, um, yeah, I just think it's a stacked position, and that's probably the reason Christian Walker's not going. Yeah, also not surprising. I mean, I mean, Paul Goldschmidt, the MVP, doesn't make the All-Star team. It's it's really hard to make it. Um, Freeman and Olsen, I get I get it for both. Freeman, obviously, he's, he's been probably with Acuna, the top two guys in the National League uh, this season offensively. And with you know with Walker, he's like fifth, I, w- I would say, fourth or fifth in that group, which is really, really good, and it's a really, really elite group. But it's just on the outside looking in on this. There's a fall-off after Walker, by the way. Sure. Absolutely. Like, I don't think there's another guy in that group. I think all those guys we just listed are the group. Absolutely. And, and 
you mentioned the defense. He is the best defensive first baseman in the league. Metrically, last year he won the Gold Glove. I mean, he sucks up everything over there. And so it's, you know, that's part of the argument, but it's it's not going to take precedent on the argument, especially when there's more popular guys ahead of him who are statistically offensively having better seasons. So final thoughts on the All-Star game and the Diamondbacks that we know are going. How many would you guess get in due to injury replacements? How many Diamondbacks will we see on the actual All-Star game day? And my guess is it would still be three because my best guess for who would be a replacement would have been Kelly. Um, and so if he's not available, Marte would need something to happen. Um, like somebody not bows out for some reason. You know, you hope nobody gets hurt, but that would kind of have to be it. So my guess would be the three, um, which and to kind of bring up the guys who did make it just very quickly here. Really good for them. First time all stars, all three of them. Zach Allen, it's been a while. And so and to be able to get him in there for his first one, we'll see if he starts. But that would be incredibly exciting for him and for the organization. Let's dive a little bit more into that when we come back from this break. Zach Allen is going to be an all star. Will he actually be the starting starting pitcher in the all-star game in Seattle. More on that next. It's the Ain't No Fang podcast live on the radio. Steve Zinsmeister, Alex Weiner in on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is an Arizona Sports special. Ain't No Fang, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. On the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. It's the Ain't No Fang Podcast live on the radio. Steve Zinsmeister, Alex Weiner covers the team for ArizonaSports.com. Zach Gallen's going to be an all-star, we found out. He's one of a bunch of starting pitchers who could get the nod to actually be on the bump when the game kicks off in Seattle. Uh, I don't know if he's the favorite right now, and I guess that's where I'll start with you, Alex. Is is Zach Allen the favorite right now? And I guess this kind of corresponds with the Cy Young conversation. Who is the best starting pitching option in the All-Star game. Yeah, I think from a narrative and just like, you know, star value perspective, I think Clayton Kershaw probably is the likely choice if they just wanted to go, who's the biggest star, you know, who's, you know, continuously having a great season late into his career. He's got two five five ERA and 16 starts. I mean, that's that's pretty good for somebody his that's age. That's pretty good, yeah. So, and he, he does it every year. And he does it every year. <laughs> so he's, he started All-Star Games before, but right. this would be you know another cool honor for him. But for Gallon to be able to do it for the first time as a first-time All-Star, uh, I think would also be really cool. I mean, for him, the argument is he's made all the starts. He's made 18 starts. He leads the league in war for pitchers, at least on fan graphs, with 3.4. He's been very consistent. He's been a very good stop guy as far as, like, after a loss, he's been tremendous for them. And so... You know, a couple of blips in his last couple of two starts, we can get into them. Second inning against the Rays, but a couple home runs gave up against the Angels. Other than that, he was pretty untouchable in both of those starts. He kept the D-backs in those games. So I think he's right up there, but I think it's kind of mixed as far as, like, what are the options are. You can go Kershaw, you can go Spencer Strider, you could go with Gallon. I mean... Guys like Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman for the Cubs who aren't playing very well, but those are two very good starting pitchers this season. So there's a lot of options to go to. I think Zach Allen's right in the mix. Something remarkable about Zach Allen, and I'm going to point out a negative because there are so many positives. I'm going to point out a negative. It's not like this ruins his argument or anything. Zach Allen is a much different pitcher at home than he is on the road this year. When you look at the splits, at home he's got a 1.5 ERA. On the road it's 5.08. 
not unbelievably bad, but certainly a different level of pitcher. You look at the whip on uh, at home, 0.88 on the road, 1.30. I mean, that's a stark difference to me. If you're talking about an ace pitcher, he's been that ace and more at home. But when he's on the road, he's just kind of average. And that's what makes it so remarkable, I guess, that he is in this conversation for winning the Cy Young or in this conversation to start the All-Star game, where if he plays a little bit better on the road, he's having an unbelievable season right now, way better than he is currently. And it's already a pretty good season to start with. Yeah, I wouldn't be too, too concerned about his home road splits just because last year when he finished fifth in the Cy Young, he was very good on the road. He was very good at home. They were very comparable. This year, I think he gets hurt by his first start at Dodger Stadium, not great. His second start at Petco Park, also not great. He got off to a tough start, and then he rattled off a really good run where he had a lot of home starts. He had a standout poor start in Pittsburgh where things kind of got away. The defense wasn't sharp that day. It was, it was a bad day for the Diamondbacks overall. And then this past start in Anaheim, he was very good for most of it. It just he got burned by a cutter up to Mike or a cutter to Mike Trout that he took over the wall. It's Mike Trout. You have you know a, even not even a mistake, but just a pitch that hangs over the plate a little bit too much is in the danger zone. And then, and I didn't even think that that knuckle curve was too bad. Demoniac, who just really nice swing on it, took it the other way, poked it over the left center field wall for a three run homer with two outs. And then from there on, he pretty much didn't give up anything. Uh, I think a couple of hits was it, and so. I don't know. I wouldn't be too too concerned about the home road splits just because it's not something we've seen from him in the past. I think there's a couple of outlier starts on the road that impacts those numbers. You know, if you ask me again in September and it's still the same deal, then maybe there's something to look at preparation wise, game planning wise, that's different between home and road. But the way that he is um, sort of obsessive in his game planning and as a perfectionist, I I really don't see there to be too much of a concern yet. I'm guessing his road numbers will come back to earth. I'm guessing that his home numbers will level out a little bit and we'll probably see something comparable season-wise in total, but I'm thinking you're right. I'm thinking those two polar opposite ends are probably going to come a little bit closer to the average. His last start you mentioned against the Angels. Yeah, seven innings, 12 strikeouts looks good no matter how you do it. I know that he did end up giving up four runs. Um, It's one of those odd starts where you're like, really great job. Uh, but also eh, four runs against him. He's done that in his last two starts. It looks like he'll get one more start before. In fact, we're pretty confident he will get one more start before the All-Star game. It currently lines up with Saturday, not Sunday, before the All-Star game, which I think is good news if you're looking to see him play in the All-Star game. Because how many times have we seen guys pitch on Sunday and then they don't play in the All-Star game on Tuesday? A lot. Um, so I am excited about that, possibly that he could start Saturday instead of Sunday, giving him an opportunity to actually play in the All-Star game. Yeah, it's kind of interesting with the rotation, because they only have four starting pitchers right now, but they're able yeah. to reset the rotation because they have the today, this Monday, is an off day. And so they can reset it with you know one, two, three, four on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and then Friday, which might end up being when Gallon starts, um, just because so, they don't have a fifth guy, unless they bring up a fifth guy to start ahead of of when Gallon would pitch. Um, but ultimately, if they just decide the off day is enough to give everybody their five days and just go with that, Gallon pitches on Friday. It gives him an extra day off before potentially pitching in the All-Star game. Um, but That's then you point. have one start where you have to figure out what you want to do, whether it's an opener, whether you call up like Connor Pilkington or something like because he's the only other... A spot start kind of guy. Exactly. Yeah. He's the only other guy on the 40-man other than Fott. You can't bring up Fott because he just sent down Fott. So... 
they they have a decision to make as far as what they do with that last spot. But yeah, Gallo will pitch one more time, and it seems like. You know, if all goes well, he'll be available to pitch in the All Star game, maybe at start. The manager uh, gets to pick who starts in the game. There are no Phillies uh, that I'm aware of, or at least if there are, they don't have a very good argument. Um, so I would think Gallon has a fair shot at being the starter. Um, we talk about this every year, right? Like the All Star game is in LA, so they pick Clayton Kershaw. Even though I thought he was deserving of it, but still, we can all acknowledge there's a bit of a legacy to that selection. This year, it's in Seattle, so you don't have to worry in the National League if you're trying to be the starting pitcher. They're not going to choose Luis Castillo over you or something like that. So I think Gallon has a fair shake. I don't know when they make that decision, who will start the actual game. But if you're right, if Gallon's going to start for the Diamondbacks on Friday or Saturday next week, uh, that could, if he has a really strong showing, I mean, if he comes out and throws... 10 strikeouts again the way that he did in this last outing it could be a really good last ditch effort to impress uh impress the manager but yeah i mean he could feasibly be starting this all-star game i'm surprised that he hasn't made it to an all-star game before this actually yeah and to kind of go over that it's kind of a wild route because he gets to the diamondbacks in 2019 in the jazz chisholm trade first of all one sentence what was your reaction to the jazz chisholm trade do you remember my initial reaction uh, I don't remember my. Do you remember my reaction? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I didn't know you. Yeah, in I was going to say. I, I was going to say. Are you going to spring something on me? Are you going to play some audio or something? Uh, no, my initial reaction was I don't necessarily agree with everyone who's saying Jazz Chisholm is your top prospect. That okay. was my take. Everyone was like, "Why are we trading our top prospect for uh, Zach Allen, who at the time was good with the Miami Marlins, but hadn't established himself yet?" And my argument is always, we don't know where Mike Hazen in the front office think Jazz Chisholm is. So that was my initial reaction. Right. So he gets to Arizona and pretty quickly is one of their best pitchers already. I mean, this is an organization that traded Zach Greinke. They saw Patrick Corbin leaving free agency. Who was going to be that next ace? Because it wasn't obvious. Uh, and Zach Allen comes in and does very well. Remember, he he no-hit the Padres through six innings in his sixth start with the Diamondbacks before you know that ended in the seventh inning. And so then in 2020, only a 60-game season, there is no All-Star game. Had there been one, he made the best case out of anybody on Arizona through those 60 games. And it's a forgettable 60 games because they didn't make the postseason. I think they went 25 and 35. 2.75 ERA. Uh, I don't have the whip in front of me, but yeah, he was by he was far excellent. and away their best option. He was excellent. Then comes 2021, and it just off the bat starts off rough. He's on the 10-day IL to start the season. He pitches only five games, goes back on the IL. By the time they picked the All-Star teams, he'd only started five games. And so then last year was his best opportunity. And last year, it's, it's again, it's like he had pitched very, very well the first half of the season, but his last few starts before they made these teams were, his, you know, three of his worst starts of the first half of the season. His ERA goes up. They ended up picking Joe Manapai over him. And then the rest of the season, Zach Allen's one of the three best pitchers in the National League. He ends the season with a 2.54 ERA. He leads the National League in whip with .91. He led the entire National League in hits per nine at only 5.9. So, yeah, to your point, it just, he's it had wrong opportunities. Timing. Wrong timing. Yeah. It just yeah. is what it is. So it's so cool to see, like, now, finally, after he could have been a multi-time All-Star at this point in his career, he finally gets that nod. You mentioned Joe Mantiply. I think that that was, like, worst-case scenario for a franchise is that you're the one that gets one random middle relief pitcher named to the all-star team. Not a closer, I didn't feel that there reliever. was that yeah. team this year that like, oh, they just got that one random guy. I mean, maybe you could say Oakland's Brent, Brent Rooker, who had a really good April, if I remember right, but then fell off. 
Uh, there's not a lot of teams that I think got stiffed necessarily by their one single selection. Maybe Washington. I think it should have been Lane Thomas mm-hmm. over Josiah Gray. But if I'm getting really picky, I, I don't think there is a Joe Mantiply necessarily in here. And no offense to Joe Mantiply. Good reliever had a great first half last year. It's just nobody knew who the heck he was. <laughs> and he wasn't playing yeah. in a high leverage situation for the Diamondbacks, who didn't have a good closer either. So it was just a weird selection at the time. Yeah, you can pick nits with these rosters, um, certainly, like all over the place with them. Oh, sure. Uh, especially in the American League. There's a couple that have been circulating Twitter, like, oh, why is Whit Merrifield making it over Wander Franco? Again, the first place raise, and Franco's been a huge part of that kind of a deal. Yeah. But in Probably the positional League, flexibility is my best argument. I don't know. I don't know. For the All-Star game, does that matter? I, if you're trying to fit a guy in in the ninth inning, maybe? I don't know. I guess so. But to your point, yeah. I mean, the relievers who are in in the National League are... Alexis Diaz, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, Camilo Doval, four of the best closers in baseball. There's right. there's not really that middle relief guy. Same thing in the American League. You have uh, Yenier Alcano for the Orioles, but he's been terrific for them, and that bullpen has had some really dynamic arms. So, you know, Michael Lorenzen is probably the most quote-unquote random guy in the rotation for, been good too, though. for the American League. He's been good, and the Tigers needed somebody. So Yeah, that's true. Coming up next, the Diamondbacks just got an up-close and personal look at the best baseball player in the world in Shohei Otani. What happens if he ends up getting traded to the Dodgers? That's next on the Ain't No Fang podcast, live on the radio. Steve Zinsmeister and Alex Weiner on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This is an Arizona sports special. The Ain't No Fang podcast goes broadcast for this Arizona sports special on the Arizona Sports app and 98.7. Steve Zinsmeister and Alex Weiner in... He covers the team for uh, ArizonaSports.com. Let's talk a little bit about Shohei Otani. We discussed in one of our more recent podcasts about how the Diamondbacks were going to get a good look at the best player in the world. They sure did. Otani uh, doing Otani things. Fortunately, not pitching in the series, though. But he definitely did a lot of hitting. He hit one ball like 493 feet, I think it was. That's mostly all he did. He had the the two home runs, and those are the only two hits in the That's series. That's all so he did. All things considered, yeah. they kind of limited his impact a little bit. Isn't that ridiculous to say? The guy hit two home runs in the series, and we're like, eh, he didn't do that much. Isn't that best-case scenario for a Diamondbacks fan, though? You win the series. He doesn't burn you, necessarily, too, too much. But you get to see some magic happen with him hitting a 490-foot home run and then a 454-foot home run, both against left-handed pitchers. True. I thought that was pretty remarkable. And it's funny that you say that. And I'm glad it worked out that way because I was on Wolf and Luke the other day with Kellen Olsen, and I said the exact same thing. I was like, what I'm hoping happens is we get to witness Shohei Otani do Shohei Otani things that are unbelievable, like hitting a 493-foot home run was pretty remarkable, but that it doesn't burn the Diamondbacks and doesn't set them back at this point, which is about the halfway mark. We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. Yeah, I think you're perfectly spot on on that. We got to witness Shohei Otani being amazing, doing things that are unbelievable, and it comes at this weird, pivotal time for the landscape of the rest of the league because Otani... What's going to happen there? Are the Angels going to move off of him? Are they going to decide we can't compete in the American League West where right now the Texas Rangers are the team to beat? We know how good Houston can be and will certainly be competitive. Do the Angels feel that they're out of it enough to the point where they trade Shohei Otani to someone else? And what would that market even look like for him? Uh, Probably not. Uh, I would just say that they're only two games out of the wild card. 
is the thing with the Angels right now. And just can you imagine going to your fans and being like, we traded this guy. He didn't leave. We traded him and seeing what kind of like, you know, attendance or just, you know, word of mouth you get for the second half of the season. I, I'm not sure that's a world they want to find out. So I, you're right. It, it's it's a huge elephant in the room for the entire league because he's an upcoming free agent. Trade, I'm not so sure. But offseason, you know, departure, that definitely is on the table, especially if the Angels underachieve again, if they that's... miss the playoffs again. And that's where things get really, really interesting is who has the means to do it who's willing to do it and who's right there in contention who can add him and immediately shoot the top of, you know, contenders throughout baseball. And I think Diamondbacks fans might get a little weary as we get down to the line here that there's a certain team in Los Angeles that might be that team. Yeah, the other team in Los Angeles, seeing as how the Angels are the ones that already have him. Uh, Yeah, no, that's a huge threat, obviously, because the Dodgers have lost some star power in the last couple of years. Corey Seager walks, Trey Turner walks, Max Scherzer walks, and they acquired all of those guys. Uh, well, I guess Seager was kind of homegrown, I guess. But it's, to your point, it's certainly threatening that there's an opportunity for Otani to be moved. I agree with you that I don't think the Angels want to tick off their fan base by doing that. But what's worse? We traded him for an unbelievable package or we let him walk in the offseason and got nothing for him. I, there's a, there are two really bad things. Unless they think there's a chance of re-signing him, in which case that... You know, what are the odds he comes back versus, you know, the upside of the prospects that we end up getting? Yeah, but you got to look at it if you're the Angels and all things are even. He hits free agency. Do we have the better team around him than, say, the Dodgers, who, by the way, are right down the road? He doesn't have to move. I don't know where Shohei Otani lives, but I assume it's pretty close by. He doesn't have to move. He can just go to the Dodgers and they have a way better team. I would move. You want to get on the four or five? Oh, okay, fair enough. You know more about California traffic than I ever will. But I I don't know, man. There's several teams right now that I think would be a better fit for Shohei Otani, if we're talking free agency for a moment, sure. than the LA Angels, which is why I think you have to consider trading him. Because I don't think they have a good shot in free agency, unless he is dead set on being an LA Angel for an extended period of time, just out of loyalty, because they took a chance on him when... A lot of other teams probably would have too, but they were the ones to finally get it done. They're the ones who paid him $30 million this season when they probably didn't have to. Uh, the Angels have done right by Mike Trout all these years. How good has that gotten? How far has that gotten them in the postseason? So if you make don't make the postseason again and Otani hits free agency, he has every right to look at your organization and say, I got nothing left for you guys. Totally agree. And that's why the next, again, like we mentioned you know, on, the, on the show previously about teams that the Diamondbacks fans should root against because that's going to change the market. The Angels are a team that could really change the market because right now they've been buyers, one of the few buyers already. Eduardo Escobar, Mike Moustakas, they've added some guys to bolster the lineup and to continue being a threat. Two games out of the wild card, they're six games out of the division. If they go into the deadline, like the week of the deadline, and they're 10 games out of the division, and they're six games out of the wild card, and someone else gets hurt and it something you know goes awry then you're more looking at that scenario where it's like we're really we really have to start looking at the mortality of this marriage because there's not a whole lot we can offer him that other teams can't and more so at that point i think it's a little too early but um losing a series to the dime back certainly doesn't help your case and then if you know if they continue to stumble a little bit 
then you start to get a little bit more interesting. But I still lean it's very unlikely that he gets treated at the deadline and more so that he probably leaves in free agency. Yeah, no, I definitely feel the same. I think it's more likely he leaves in free agency, but it's an interesting conversation considering he is the best player in the entire world right now. He's I I do wonder how he's going to be utilized in the All-Star game. So he got voted in as a DH. Deservedly so. That's the position that he plays. But he's also going to pitch in the All-Star game, right? I mean, he has to. Yeah. He's, he's Shohei Tani. He has to pitch in the All-Star game. He has a fingernail issue, I guess, that pushed him oh, back today's start. He's going to pitch He'll on Tuesday. Fine. But again, you can Tuesday grow a full fingernail in like a week, I think, or something. I don't know. I'm not the, exactly up to the be autonomy of it. A Tuesday to Tuesday break for him. So yeah, he's going to have uh, rest for it. Yeah, I think that he's going to be okay to pitch. And so it, it is interesting, though. I find it at least a bit ironic that we just got the DH full time and that it's going to be on both squads. And we finally now have a pitcher at just the right time, who can be the hitter and the pitcher at the same time. And I, I, I don't know. He won't start the game. At least you know. That's my guess. Maybe. I think Seattle. I think they'll pick somebody from Seattle. So Luis Castillo. I think it'll be Luis Castillo. That makes sense. I think he'll probably be the starter. That doesn't mean he necessarily deserves it over Otani. How about this? Luis Castillo starting for the American League versus Corbin Carroll leading off for the National League. So you have the Seattle Mariners pitcher going up against the Seattle native in... The All-Star game. What do you think I don't, about that? I don't hate that. Yeah. We, we, it's funny. We've talked about this on the podcast, too. Baseball is about narratives. More so than some other sports, I feel like. Like, it's it's fun and everything when, like, two brothers face each other in the Super Bowl like we just had. But baseball is about narratives. Aaron Judge wins MVP last year because he broke Roger Maris's home run record in the American League and as a Yankee. But Otani should be in the MVP conversation every single year. I mean, the way that he's playing... We did a podcast recently where we ran through some of the numbers, too, where, like, Otani, essentially, when he won the MVP two years ago, was on the level in terms of war. He was Pete Alonzo on offense and Max Scherzer as a pitcher. So what do you pay that guy? What do you pay the guy in free agency who is Max Scherzer, who I think makes, like, $43 million a year? And what do you – and on top of that, Pete Alonzo is probably worth 25 to $30 million a year on his own offensively. Otani is the best power pitcher and power hitter in baseball, and he's one person. Where's like the Dr. Evil clip that we can get up? Like a hundred billion dollars or something like that? One million dollars. And then they're like, that's actually not that much. (laughs) I mean, it could be half a billion, maybe $600,000 on a long-term contract. 600 million, you mean? 600 million dollars, I mean, on a long-term contract, like 10 years, 600 million. Is that possible? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. How many more seasons of this... I guess is that team expecting and how much, you know, how much are they willing to pay in the back half for what they're expecting in the first half? And he's 29 years old right now, or he will be when he's a free agent. He's 29. So a 10 year contract puts him at 39. Right. At 39, I don't necessarily expect him to be doing both any at that point, but, but you never know. Can he be an MVP candidate the first five years and then a serviceable, you know, designated hitter? Yeah, you know, middle you know, of the rotation starter for the back half. Yeah, you look at all the guys who signed those deals. Miguel Cabrera, it was it, he was a shell of his former self, making $30 million the past couple of seasons, but he's not worth that. You look at uh, Robinson Cano, and he gets tossed around the league now because of his salary. And you look at some other guys, Albert Pujols, who had a great finish that was unbelievable. And again, we'll talk about narratives there. That's one of them. 
Um, but yeah, you're probably right. You're signing Shohei Otani for the first like five, six years, and you're banking on having a player that is absolutely unbelievable. Let me throw an idea that I, I heard uh, by you real quick. Somebody said suggested to me the other day, Max Scherzer back to the Arizona Diamondbacks in a trade. The Mets are in a situation where they've spent so much money and they're falling behind. If two, three weeks from now, the Mets still haven't figured things out and are falling out of favor in the NL East, would a Max Scherzer reunion make any sort of sense to you for the Diamondbacks? There's a lot of factors in that. One would be the price, and not just like the prospect price, but like the mon- the money price. How much money would the Mets be able to you know soak up and leave the Diamondbacks with? It's a lot. It would. I mean, he's getting paid a lot of money. It's, it's he's making. Over- 43 and a yeah. third million this year. So if you trade for him, we're a little bit halfway through the season, a little bit over halfway through. So let's just call it half $21 million for the rest of this season. Then he has a player option next year for 43 and a third million. Think he's going to pick that up? I would think so. He's not getting that on the open market. Now there's a chance he wants to hit free agency and wants to take like a 43 million over three years kind of deal. Like, you know, I'd rather get paid over three years than make it all at once. But in today's market, yeah, he's not getting 43 from anyone else, so he's going to pick up that player option, I would think. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's like $64, 65000000 million for a year and a half of Max Scherzer. The Mets are eight games out in the wild card. I think it's much worse in the division at this point. The Braves are running away with that thing. Uh, yeah, they're 18 and a half games back of the Atlanta Braves in the division. Does Steve Cohen want to save some cash and try to move... Max Scherzer, even if it means dumping forty million, thirty million into that deal, and oof, especially with show again back to the Shohei Otani point, do, if they think they're a contender to potentially land him, does clearing that up help them at all? Does it matter for somebody like Steve Cohen at this point? I'm not entirely sure. If it does, and the D-backs take a little bit more of the money, could they alleviate some of the prospects going out? Could they bring in another piece? So, I mean, those are all considerations, even outside of just in a vacuum, Max Scherzer to the Diamondbacks that you have to consider there. Too many factors. That's what I'm getting from you. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's just too much money. And even if Steve Steve Cohen fits the bill, I, I, it's still really hard to see that reunion. Coming up next, we are just slightly over halfway through the season. What are some lessons the Diamondbacks have learned so far? And what do they need to learn between now and playoff time? It's the Ain't No Fang podcast live on the radio. Steve Zinsmeister and Alex Weiner on Arizona Sports, the Local sports leader. This is an Arizona sports special. Ain't no fang. Arizona sports, the local sports leader. On the Arizona sports app at 98.7. Steve Zinsmeister and Alex Weiner talking D-backs on the Ain't No Fang podcast live on the radio. If I'm doing my math right... The Diamondbacks have played 85 games so far? Correct. Does that sound about right? It does sound right. That means they're just slightly over halfway through the season. Um, still sitting in first place in the National League West. Three games over the Dodgers. Three and a half up on the Giants. Eleven and a half up on the Padres, who have loaded up their roster, but not necessarily playing the way they hoped. They're three and seven in their last ten. The Diamondbacks are five and five in their last ten. What are some things that they've accomplished or learned in the first half of the season that impressed you the most? I think a big deal with them and a big storyline for them is that organizational depth really, really comes into play here. Obviously, with them, 
their star players are, are playing like stars as they should. We met, we talked about Cattell Marte earlier in the show, Corbin Carroll. We haven't brought up a ton today, but he has been everything they could have asked him and more, especially as a rookie. Christian Walker, we talked about a little bit earlier. He's been good. Geraldo Perdomo's given them everything they could have asked for with him. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to the All-Star game. That lineup depth is not something that they've had in the last few seasons. And then talk about more organizationally, they've been able to, you know, send guys down who aren't hitting on all cylinders, replace them with somebody who may be better in the interim, and then bring them back and they've been better. Jake McCarthy has been so valuable to them since he has gone down and come back up. He's got a 117 WRC plus uh, since the start of June for them. And just as a menace on the base paths, a very good defender. He's been what they needed Jake McCarthy to be, even if early in the season he you know, was out of a rhythm. Alec Thomas has been very good, or has been pretty good since he's gotten back. He had a huge road trip. Uh, and so, again, watching him play center field is so much fun. Just the jumps that he gets, what he's able to track down. And so their ability to use that depth that they have at the major league level and at the AAA level to find the best combinations has helped them be first place right now. And I think what they see it as is it's the best way for them to be the best team in September because the best version of them has Alec Thomas clicking, has Jake McCarthy clicking, along with those middle-of-the-order guys who have been so productive. I think you kind of hit on what I was going to say is their biggest lesson that they've learned early in the season. You said something earlier about they're overperforming or ahead of schedule, I think is the way that you put it. And I think most people would agree the Diamondbacks are ahead of schedule. No one thought they'd be in first place in the National League West at this point, or at least if you did, kudos to you. I don't think that you're in the majority. Um, But I think the biggest lesson they've learned so far is if we're going to be competitive in this division and this league, then we need to be able to make the hard decisions with players that aren't up to snuff right now. Mm They've made those calls that you were talking about with Jake McCarthy sending him back down to AAA where he figures things out, comes back. The guy's got 17 stolen bases already this season, which is pretty remarkable. So he fills a role there. Alec Thomas goes down, figures some things out, comes back, is playing an unbelievable center field for them. Uh, They made the hard decision with Madison Bumgarner that, okay, we know that we owe you a lot of money. We don't care. We don't care that you have, you know, all these rings and you were World Series MVP and it doesn't matter anymore. We're not we're not paying guys anymore to be what they were. We're paying them to be what we want them to be. And if you're not going to give us the production that we need, we're going to find another option. They've made some tough calls and there's some tough calls that still need to be made. I mean, they just this past week, Paven Smith, that experiment, I don't, I don't want to say came to an end because I certainly don't think his time with the team is is over but they they tried Paven Smith in the leadoff spot against right-handed pitching. Didn't work. He hit under 200. Uh, so they made a change. They put Perdomo in that spot, and it seems to have given them a bit of a boost. I think they have some tough decisions in the starting rotation to, to figure out. Although, uh, really impressive starts lately from Zach Davies and Ryan Nelson. So maybe there aren't some tough decisions, but I think one of those guys is probably going to be an odd man out at some point if they make a trade or if somebody comes back like a Brandon Fought. So I think the best lesson they've learned so far this season is even if this guy is a staple in our lineup, in our rotation, in our bullpen, we have to have other options. Yeah, and even Fott, you just mentioned, he comes back up for one start. And some of the stuff looks good. He has a couple of high fastballs at 95 that look good, a couple of the breaking balls. But the location wasn't there consistently, and things fell apart for him in a third inning against the Rays this past week, which led to him getting optioned the very next day. 
you know, if it's 2021 and Tori Lovello has referred to this numerous times, that's when, okay, a guy's kind of going through it. Let him go through it here where there's, you know, the ability to do that against major league talent. And then hopefully by next season, by the end of the season, by the end of the month, by the end of the week, he'll have figured something out. Now they don't have necessarily the runway to do that because they're trying to win every single night. And because of that, you know, they're able to make some of those hard decisions and they've gone all in. I mean, Madison Bumgarner made four starts this season before they saw enough. So kind of a short hook, if you think of it that way. Yeah. Early on, they kind of figured they had something here. Probably just seeing the team in games for the first three weeks of the season. It's like there's there's something here. And so it started then. It's continued. And I think it has led to more wins. I do think that they gave that leash to Ryan Nelson. He's the mm-hmm. one guy of all the rookies because Dre Jamison got sent down after starting. Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas we've talked about. Other guys have been sent down. Dominic Fletcher has been sent down at one point after his first call-up. Um, Ryan Nelson is the one exception where they put him in the starting rotation to start the year over some other guys that might have had a shot, and they've let him figure it out at the major league level. And I'm not saying he's figured everything out, but he had a pretty good last start. Two starts. Uh, last two starts, yeah. And so he's the one guy that they kind of let him go through the growing pains on his own at the major league level. And I'm not saying I want him get sent down. I'm not saying I want him traded. None of that. I'm just saying he seems to be the one dude that they were comfortable with. Okay, dude, go figure it out. Right. Here. Not in AAA. Here. Right. And part of that is the way that the rotation is set up. It kind of, you're going to have to rely on a couple of youngsters. It just kind of is what it is. And Nelson has been the one guy who's stuck. Henry has stuck since they brought him up. They haven't sent him back down, but he, he didn't make the rotation out of spring training. He took the spot over when, you know, Bumgarner was let go, and then they put Dre Jameson in the starting rotation. Then they took Dre Jameson out of the starting rotation, and they put Tommy Henry there, and he's been there ever since. So with Ryan specifically, yeah, there must have been something just they're seeing behind the scenes that led them to believe, okay, this guy has something, and by the second half of the season, our best chance is if he is the best version of himself, and that's what they're going to get out of him. Right now, we're seeing sort of the best version of him, the last couple of starts at least. The fastball command has been very, very good, and he's been able to land some of those off-speed pitches. And just based on matchup to matchup against the Angels, Gallon did this too. They, they, they leaned more heavy fastball, and he was able to do that. He was able to adjust to it. He located very well. I mean, to stand in there and strike out Mike Trout twice and Shohei Otani twice in the same game, and, and not, you know, not always with just the bases empty either, was very, very impressive as far as where he's at mentally at this point. And so, yeah, it's it so far has worked as of right now. It's, there's been some growing pains, but now he looks like the best version of what we've seen. In the next week or so, six more games in the first half of the season before the All-Star break, uh, three against New York, the Mets, and that is followed by a three-game series against Pittsburgh. There is an opening in the starting rotation as it stands. Merrill Kelly is injured. Brandon Fott got sent back down to the minors, as you said. So I anticipate we will probably see some starters bumped up a day. If the off day today is factored in, you would have five days rest for, say, Davies, Henry, Nelson in the next series. Gallon could pitch that Friday game against Pittsburgh. And then, of course, like we mentioned earlier, Gallon could be starting or at least playing in the All-Star game in Seattle about a week and a half from now. Lots to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. Hey, Alex, thanks for hanging out today. I really appreciate you being here. It's a holiday. I know a lot of people are driving around. We get to talk baseball and about a team that's winning nonetheless. It's pretty cool. 
Absolutely. It's been fun. All right. Thanks so much for checking out the show today. It is the Ain't No Thing podcast. You can find it at ArizonaSports.com. Alex and I do the podcast every week, all things Diamondbacks and baseball. Thanks so much for Alex Weiner. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.